Okay, so welcome back, Stacy. Or should I say welcome back to you, Ale, because I think today we're going to be switching up a teeny bit. We are going to be comparing your home country of Argentina to Singapore. I think our listeners know that both you and I are expats, and now more than ever is a great time to travel, at least virtually, to another country outside of our tiny island that we call home. Yeah, exactly. And actually, I've been thinking a lot about this. I, of course, have a lot of friends and family back in Argentina and tracking how they were going through COVID and also thinking about how different my life was when I was still there. So I think it would be a great example if we could somehow compare or share differences between the two places. This is not a competition, by the way. It's just to try to put in some perspective things that maybe are normal here, but not normal elsewhere or vice versa. Or is it a competition? No, I'm kidding. I am very much looking forward to hearing all about your life in Argentina. It's definitely in my top three places to visit that I've never been to. So once the pandemic starts to ease up, hopefully, would love to travel back with you to your hometown. Yeah, that will be amazing. It's a bit far. So I grew up in the south part of Argentina, a place called Patagonia, and it's roughly 30 hours away by plane, three zero. Yeah, so that, that involves taking multiple planes, usually a layover in the Middle East or in Ethiopia, for example. And from there, you can go to Brazil. And from Brazil, you can go to the capital of Argentina, which is Buenos Aires. And you still need to take another flight, a domestic flight to the city where I grew up. But luckily, we have an airport, so it's not that bad. Well, it sounds completely worth it. So if you were to pitch why I should travel to Patagonia as my next destination, what would you say is one of the most unique things about your hometown? It has similarities with many parts of Switzerland, I heard. I would say the lakes, the mountains, and the beaches, even in summer, are quite appealing if not uh, snow to ski and snowboard in winter. That's from an outdoors point of view. I would say that the food, predominantly uh, beef and other related meats, as well as traditional Argentinian food, which is very meat heavy, topped with some Malbec red wine and even craft beer, I think from the gastronomic point of view, there's a lot of offerings as well. Wow, you just hit all of my favorite things. Exploring the outdoors, great food scene, and top-notch wine. So let's dive into a little bit of each of those, Ali, because we need to definitely explore more. So first off, you mentioned the outdoors, and it sounds like there's such diverse terrain from mountains to lakes. What are some of your favorite things to do outdoors in Patagonia? The more straightforward one is just explore your backyard. Most people still have gardens and land in your, where your house is can be quite big, even for Singaporean, especially for Singaporean standards. I would say if you want to take it a, a, up a notch, you can go and for hikes. And there are a number of hikes, they're all free and you can just walk endlessly. They're, nowadays, they're a bit more tidy, a few more signals here and there, but you can all truly get lost in the woods very easily because it's so massive. I would say you can witness nature and, and even without going far from the paths, you can see a variety of animals, you can see nature 
unfolding in all ways and even if you go in winter or different seasons uh, you'll still see a lot of things going on in, in terms of the flowers blooming maybe different animals or birds you can hear their songs and one of the things I like to do the most when I go back to visit my parents is go for a walk not many kilometers away from where they live and it takes it's about four kilometers but it's deep into the woods so I take it as a refresher every time I go back there because the air is so pure. When you breathe, you can feel it's like efficiency in terms of pure oxygen and let's say very little pollution and very little humidity because it's extremely dry. So you can see how it really uh, does the job of helping you breathe very well, which is something I feel the opposite when I go running here in Singapore. Yeah, I guess it sounds like it's a pretty stark contrast between the very dense urban environment here in Singapore versus the much more spread out outdoors in Argentina where the air is, is pristine and much more untouched than a densely populated, slightly polluted place like the city that we currently live in. When you're going out in the outdoors, Ali, is it a is it a national park or is it literally your own backyard? Okay, so I was fortunate enough to I'm mean, fortunate and disfortunate to grow up uh, a bit far from the city. So the the city where I went to school, for example, was 25 kilometers away from my parents' house. So that was a long bus every day. But the upside of that was that there was very little neighbors and. I could actually start walking from my backyard if I went over the fence. I could start walking for a few kilometers before I, I ran into someone else. There were a few houses here and there and a few roads here and there, but it's mostly forest and, and th there's more people nowadays. But when we move, we would see the forest endlessly if we look at the backyard. One thing I haven't mentioned is that summertime it's not hot. It's maybe 25 degrees, but it's so dry and sunny that it's ideal to go to the beach. So you could have these perfect days where sun comes out very early. You can go for a hike in the morning, let's say at 8 or 9 a.m., come back for lunch, get your gear, go to the beach, wear your swimming outfit. If you're brave enough, you can get in the water, which is gonna be maybe at eight degrees <laughs> or 10 degrees. It's very cold and even if you're a seasoned expert, I don't think you can withstand more than five, 10 minutes inside before you start shaking. But it's, it's very, very rejuvenating if you get in quickly in and out. And after that, you can just head up downtown to a brewery or you can go eat some of the traditional uh, barbecue, which is the asado, which is the preparation of beef and maybe other meats on a traditional Argentinian grill. Usually it takes a few hours and it's kind of a ritual as well in the sense of community, in the sense of sharing tips on how to better make it. And even sometimes some friendly competition between father and son or father-in-law. It's traditionally used to be a more male dominant experience, but nowadays as everything is becoming completely unisex. Ali, that sounds like such a perfect day that I could cry. And maybe I'm just more emotional during quarantine, but for my American friends back home, uh, 25 degrees is a perfect 75 degree Fahrenheit day. The water still very, very cold. Uh, but wrapping up your day with that communal feast around meat, oh, I had pretty much cut out red meat from my diet, but I would make an exception if I went to Argentina. And that asado sounds incredible. So what, can you talk more about the preparation of that? I assume that's beef. 
Yeah, so it's exactly. So it's beef and maybe other type of sausages. The proper asado is a, it's an actual uh, cut of the cow. In Argentina, the cow is sliced and diced in different ways. It depends on the country, actually. But uh, there's actually a cut you can get from your butcher called asado. You can, of course, get other cuts as well. Usually are chunks of meat, maybe the size of your arm. Uh, so they, w they won't cook very fast. The other thing, and this is something that it, it comes to the horror of many people in, in Europe or in the US, is that Argentina do not eat uh, raw or rawish meat. It tends to be w well done. Ooh, yes. Especially in the US where we like, well, I at least like my meat medium rare. That's okay. I would have to take some getting used to. Of course, because of tourism, the people are able to cater for different tastes and they will call it like juicy. So juicy will be the, the rareness of it, but you will never get something rare. That will be considered dangerous because I think there was a not so long recent history with um, different scares regarding meat and diseases. So there's a culture of really cooking meats just in case. I guess it's always better to be safe than sorry, but man, sometimes I feel like it's really ruining a good piece of meat to have it well done. But I'm sure the spices and the flavor more than make up for it. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the, then this is where all the mystery and family secrets, it comes from people using coarse salt or covering it with newspapers or lifting it up and down or flipping it over. Because also another thing is this grill is not uh, with gas. You're actually burning coal or even firewood. Oh, nice. You're getting the flavor of that wood being smoked into the meat. Exactly. So some people will argue that you shouldn't be using coal or certain types of coal only because you can get coal that has maybe more chunks of wood, coal that is pure processed coal, and even like just raw firewood. So th this is where all the recipes and discussions come in uh, of the intensity of the fire and whatnot. But the result is generally a very nice, tender, juicy piece of meat follow with some very simple salads, perhaps some lettuce, tomato, onion salad. That's it. It sounds so simple, but delicious. Yeah, so let me let me just walk you through how that would feel like. You would just like walk into this place. It would be a congregation of people near the fire having a discussion, probably sipping some wine. You would then proceed to get a, a sausage in a bread. And this is called, by the way, in Argentinian Spanish, they call it choripan, which means sausage bread, like all at once in one word. And this will be like your starter. So you will be talking about food and other topics while eating, standing up, just this thing that looks like a hot dog in a way. And meanwhile, the meat will be preparing. Usually the, the master chef will be working at it maybe two hours before you arrived. So by the time you join, the fire is on, meat is already there, and then based on the order of in and out of the grill, the meats go in and out. So there's a constant work. And even as you're eating, the last person to sit on the table is the master chef, usually followed by a round of applause. <laughs> I love that. So everyone's cheering the person who's preparing the food. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you could also argue that it's an extremely sexist scenario because rarely people clap when traditionally in the in the past or even today, like many women will be cooking and the husband wouldn't do much. But this is something that slowly is, is shifting and both are, are appreciated more and more, luckily. Got it. And so while you're eating your churipan and then waiting for the meat, what's in your other hand to wash down all this delicious food? Well, this is also where different schools of thought come in. Uh, some people will go straight for beer and have many, many beers. Other people will stick to red wine. And it, white wine is, is something that is not as popular in Argentina, particularly because Argentina is one of the 
top countries to get Malbec wine from. Argentina is a huge producer of wine, is very uh, well known in the world, and wine is particularly cheap. So as opposed to Singapore, where wine is quite expensive, even the cheapest of the cheapest wine is much more expensive than a beer, you can definitely get a full bottle of a very good table Malbec wine for the same price of the bottle of a craft beer, for example. So what, what are we talking, Ali? Give me some numbers. Four USD or three USD get you a good wine, something to have on your table on a weekday, let's say. 10 USD get you a special wine in Singapore, like get you a, a let's celebrate wine in Singapore, for sure. I have seen wines in, in the supermarket here in Singapore, and I've seen wines that in Argentina run for maybe 10 USD at 20 to 30 sometimes even more. Yeah, the markup in Singapore is just very upsetting. Yes, yes. And, and also the variety. The, the If you go to the supermarket in Argentina, it's it's very, very big and you'll see people constantly buying. Here in Singapore, it's always like a an empty space. Not so many people you'll see shuffling around the wine uh, corridors in a supermarket, whereas in Argentina, there's a constant flow. And for example, for, for when we were celebrating this New Year that just went by, we had maybe 10 people gathering 12 people gathering and we bought maybe eight bottles of wine. <laughs> My kind of party. Because it's not expensive also. So it, it's it's not any it's not a concern whereas if I were to buy like eight, 10 bottles of wine here in Singapore, it's it better be a very important event and it's something that will definitely hit my pocket. And so when you have these big celebrations uh, like New Year's, is there more of a restaurant culture or do most people dine in their homes and have a dinner party with some close friends and family members? Okay, so I think this is something that it depends. So I would say for people who tend to be, let's say, not living in the same city with so many family, they will tend to go to restaurants, especially older people who have kids living in some, somewhere else. But I would say big majority for Christmas celebration, it's a family only event and you will get extended family, you'll see maybe maybe relatives you don't like or see so often, but that's when you will see them. That's the moment where you come together every year. I think this resonates a bit with Thanksgiving in the US, similar to what I've seen in movies about uh, the US and Thanksgiving. I think Christmas in the US is also very, very big. So it's probably a pretty similar event where you have a sizable gathering at home and you have more of a potluck type where a lot of people are bringing in different dishes and contributing. Oh, that sounds so fun. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So this is something also present uh, in, in Argentinian culture and you will have it for dinner. So the 24th of December at night, you have a dinner and the next day you have a follow-up lunch where you traditionally eat the leftovers. <laughs> and may also invite the same people or you will go to someone else's house. Like So it's the same uh, people participating, but it's a different house you're going. The pragmatist and the partier in me absolutely love that because everyone always brings way too much food and then you have so many leftovers. And so it's a perfect excuse to have everyone back to your house all over again to celebrate. And the, probably the only thing that you guys finish is the Malbec. So I imagine you have to actually go out and buy more wine from the store. Yeah, I mean, that's also why we get so many bottles, of, of course. Uh, and that's that's the, the convenience because you'll see that in the morning of the 25th, there will be some shops open exactly for this reason. Uh, the other point is New Year's. And that's also when I think it's a bit more open. People tend to celebrate with friends, maybe invite some 
people you're not so close to sometimes or go for a show but uh, especially younger people tend to go to clubs right after the midnight toast of course which is a tradition so are people drinking wine at new year's or are there other liquors or cocktails or beverages that argentinians like to drink cider is extremely popular in argentina and extremely inexpensive as well i would say that more well-off families will have champagne or some sort of sparkling wine whereas the big majority of people will go for ciders ciders are again maybe one dollar two dollar a bottle of a respectable cider maybe a three usd dollar for a, something you can trust and comes in a glass bottle <laughs> but it will be good in that sense and that makes it something that's available to everyone whereas maybe sparkling wine and different different meals are not as popular this this uh, maybe just to link this a bit with singapore this also paints like a very stark difference with what i experienced here because alcohol is very expensive it's not as popular to drink whenever i don't see people just going for drinks for no special reason ale i mean you're friends with me what are you talking about Yeah, but it's not what I see like it's as a culture in the whole Fair. country. Like it's not that okay after work drinks or quickly opening a beer. I think this is something we do when we meet or if we go to a restaurant we'll swiftly order drinks, absolutely. But I don't think there is a culture of drinking at home so much or sharing drinks like I I've seen families drinking together where like the grandmother, the father and the son or the daughter are all drinking cocktails in the same house for Christmas or something. Like, I don't think that's something that would fly in, in other cultures where maybe it's not okay for the women to drink or it's not okay for the young kids to drink. I mean, I don't mean young 12 years old, I mean maybe 19. One thing though, there's a very famous Argentinian drink that you may be able to get in some places. And it's something that is extremely commonplace and it's, it's, simply, it's simply not expensive. And it, it requires a beverage called Fernet and Fernet is a bitter. It's not so different from Campari perhaps if you try that. It's extremely thick so what you will do is you will prepare it with coke. So ice, coke, Fernet. That's a very traditional offering. Ah that doesn't sound too appetizing. I think I'll stick with the Malbec. It's not my favorite drink. I don't like bitter so much but I think it's, it's a must try and I've seen some people be amazed by, by the flavors because after all it's like mostly herbs and, and whatnot. All right, sounds healthy-ish. So if I'm trying not to drink too much alcohol, are there any popular drinks that I can try that don't contain or will give me a buzz? Okay, in fact there is, it will be hard to categorize it as a drink because this is more of an activity in Argentina. So Argentina and maybe other countries in South America such as Uruguay and Paraguay have Uh, mate. Mate is a traditional caffeine-rich infused drink. So it's a bit similar to tea, but the similarities stop when you focus on its preparation. So you'll take a container, think of a cup, you will put a straw, a metal straw that has a filter on one side and the sucking end on the other, and you will drop all these leaves there and you will use water that is hot, close to boiling point, preferably 85 degrees Celsius, give or take. And this is also another one of those sciences that changes family to family. But basically you will pour water on this cup, you will suck from the straw. And once you're done drinking this, which will take you perhaps maybe two seconds or 10 seconds, you fill it again. And this is where it gets interesting. The idea is to share this drink with other people. So you would have people over, this could be 
your grandmother, this could be your friends, this could be your girlfriend, this can be your study mates or even people that you don't know. Maybe you have, you're having mate in a public place and someone asks you very cheekily if you can offer them a mate. And there are even sayings in popular culture that how you shouldn't refuse ever a mate. And if someone refuses your offering of a mate, it's a demonstration of not trusting you. So in times of COVID, this sounds completely counterintuitive and dangerous behavior. And in fact, drinking mate nowadays <laughs> is extremely uh, not suggested by the government in Argentina right now. But it's an activity that you would do and you will do for hours perhaps. And you will measure these hours, not in time, but in how many pots of water have you drank. So usually you will heat it up and then you will drink, 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 drink until either the water runs out, the flavor in the leaves goes completely away and you need to start over or run out of water. So every time you restore the mate, it's another round. So people will discuss and say, oh, we had two rounds of mate with so-and-so, or we met with my extended family and we had just one round of mate, or, or we had like many rounds. And it's not like coffee, but it has some caffeine here and there. So it will give you a bit of a buzz. That sounds so fun. I, I think the communal aspect of that, minus the germs and, and potentially passing coronavirus to each other, this does sound like such a great bonding activity just to sit around a common shared space and pass, pass the mate to your, to your grandmother, to your uncle. Uh, hopefully one day we'll get to a point where we don't even have to think about it and we feel absolutely comfortable sharing drinks with each other. But until that day, your descriptions will have to suffice, Ale. Um, so I know we covered a lot of the food and the drink and the outdoors all very positive stereotypes that I had heard of already from Argentina. One last one that I wanted to ask you about was, when I think Argentina, I think tango. Is it true that pretty much every Argentinian knows how to do the tango and dances it well? Okay, so I think this is something of an outdated stereotype. I think that it was extremely popular perhaps 50 to 80 years ago. So there is a culture of it, and if you go to some touristic spots, you will definitely find tango classes, tango demonstrations. It's a dance that evokes a lot of seduction, even though initially it was popular because only men would dance it. So they would, two men would dance together, and they would wear heels. Ooh, welcome to our lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not what you would expect of like the traditional macho Argentinian guys, but that's how it was in the, in the times of like, 1900s. Nowadays, tango is something that is more of a special activity. For example, myself, I've taken a couple months of tango classes. I would say it's extremely hard. Like any dance lesson, you need to be very comfortable with whom you're dancing with because there's a lot of touch and there's a little space in between. But I would say it's quite challenging to do it in a graceful way, as opposed to other dances like salsa, perhaps, where you can get away with a few steps here and there to do the basics. That's an interesting comparison. Here in Singapore, I've actually gone to a few salsa clubs. And to your point, Ali, I think salsa allows for a little bit more fluidity and creativity, but tango sounds like there's a lot more precision and it's a much more technical dance. So I would definitely give it a try if I visited Argentina, but probably would not excel too much at it. I think you will be in the same position as most Argentinians nowadays. So my, my guess is, if you find an Argentinian and you ask them to dance tango for you, I would say something that is unlikely, perhaps. Got it. Okay, so I know we've checked all the stereotypes that at least I've had when, it, when I think of Argentina. Is there anything 
or any myth that you would like to dispel about your home country? I would say there's a culture of lying and it's not called outright lying, like you're not like lying to the judge. What you're doing is enhancing stories. Uh, Argentinians have a specific word for this, it's called chamusho, and it's, it's used to when you're trying to hit on someone and tell them like a nice story of how you're so attractive or how they should be looking into you. And this necessarily doesn't mean that you're gonna be giving compliments to this person. Uh, in fact, many times it's about arguing with someone. So I've seen countless times some friend of mine, let's say some boy, hitting on a girl through arguing with her, through fighting with her. And before you know it, they're making out. <laughs> I would absolutely love to see this. I don't think that would ever fly in Singapore. Well, obviously, if you had listened to our first episode about dating, men and women barely talk to each other at bars anyway, let alone are arguing and then making out by the end of the discussion. So this would definitely be a sight to see. Yes, 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 indeed. So, so I, I, I can tell that there's, that's one of the huge differences I see. And there's a fluidity in the sense that people can talk to you on the street and people will ask you questions on the street. And if you go to a bar, it's somewhat free game and not necessarily means that people are constantly hitting on you. They're just maybe trying to pull a joke on you or ask a comment or ask you about what you're wearing. And I think people are really outgoing and can be very uh, warm and, and nice. And in that sense, it's something that I, I've seen that there's a lot of nice people here in Singapore, but I tend to think that there's some ice around them many times. And it's, you need to get to the, to the center, to the core, to see the warmness. There's an ice cover around it many times. I do think it's the warmth of the Latino culture. And on that note, Ale, there is, are so many new reasons now that I want to go visit Argentina, especially Patagonia. And I hope we can get there someday, maybe within a few months because I need to try the asado with a glass of Malbec in my hand and just sit back and people watch as they flirt and argue in bars. <laughs> Absolutely, I think you'll have a great time. Fantastic, well, thank you so much for giving me a sneak peek into your hometown. In next week's episode, I will be inviting everyone back to my home state of California. So stick around and talk to you soon. Bye-bye.